The following is a production by Cutting to the Chase Podcast. So Jeff Meller, it's great to uh, talk with you. And it's funny because I've talked to, I feel like half the station at this point and you all kind of feel like a big family to me now because I'm always interacting and tweeting at you guys and talking to you guys all the time. Yeah, no, I mean, like, uh, like that's kind of like what we enjoy, you know, listeners who are active with us because it kind of helps give a feel for, you know, people out there who are actually listening and giving feedback because, Sometimes we get, you know, into our own little feedback loop inside the station where it's, you know, I don't know if you want to say 12, 16, I don't know the exact number. I haven't counted it up, but, you know, the same guys. Right. But we, it, it's cool to have the interaction with listeners who who have plenty of great thoughts as well. And so that that's one of the nice things about social. One of the, one of the, one of the I don't know, probably smaller percentages of nice things about uh, social media is the interaction mm-hmm. with listeners. You know, there's so many, so much other corrosive stuff about it but the positives is that you actually get at least from the uh you know working in media it's it's cool to have feedback with people who actually um enjoy what we do so yeah that's so true i know the social like you said social media can be so dark and ugly but i love I, every day i think i'm 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 at least tweeting at black and abdallah as you probably know or see or whatever but uh it's always fun to uh or you know i'm listening to cap in the morning during work and it's fun to just I'll hear something funny and I, I got to tweet at you guys or something. So I always appreciate the interaction. Yeah, no, and you know what the nice thing is too is because sports radio, when it began, you know, it was always caller driven. And now it's, we certainly are always in, you know, um, encouraging people to call. But mm-hmm. at the same time too, everyone's so busy with their own lives that like sometimes like the reality is people, plenty of people don't want to have to sit on hold and wait 15, 20, 20 minutes to make their point, right. which I understand. And, you know, so it's cool to have the opportunity to just fire off a tweet, you know, and then get your message out to, you know, the show. And then, you know, oftentimes, you know, depending on who it is, but we try and even bring that conversation to mm-hmm. the air as well, you know, so that, that is, that's been a nice component for just our, um, for our jobs. Yeah, I was, I was curious. How did you get started in sports media? So I interned at ESPN 1000 when I was a senior in college at Loyola University in Chicago. And I was actually considering going to law school. I, would, I actually took the LSAT mm. and was kind of on the fence about what I wanted to do. Because I, I had always been intrigued by being a lawyer and it was something that was I, I was very interested in but I also loved sports radio and so when I was a communication major and when I had the opportunity to do the internship at ESP 1000 I you know jumped at the opportunity to do so and then when I was wrapping up my senior year they offered me a position as a producer to produce mainly nights and weekends and do some uh, a lot of White Sox games back mm-hmm. when we when we had the rights to the White Sox the first time. Right. And, you know, I was hired on to do that. And so I, you know, took the opportunity. I was like, all right, I'll see how this goes. And I always had in the back of my mind, if for some reason I didn't like the avenue that it went down, I could always, you know, 
consider going back to law school and I just had never left. So that's part of, you know, how it worked out for me. But I always also grew up listening to a lot of radio and in particular sports talk radio. So it was one of, you know, in terms of that and law were kind of like the two passions I had coming out of college. And so to have the opportunity to do it was like something I wanted to pursue. And it, it just kind of fell into place perfectly for me, right place, right time. And, um, you know, I took it and have not left since. So, yeah, that's really cool. And I love, I, I really like, or I really appreciate, I think, uh, you know, especially interacting with all of you guys and, and talking with all of you. And, you know, like I know that you host and I know that you do a lot of the sort of behind the scenes type stuff, whether, I don't know if it's exactly producing or whatever, but you're all like, all of you guys kind of seem very, obviously multi-talented like for instance you're doing on like cap's show um actually what is your specific role is, are you like a producer <laughs> yeah so uh, yeah <laughs> I, I like i have the producer host producer right. slash host role so for captain company carmen Europe, you know i do produce but also i'm sure anybody who listens to the show knows that i you know talk quite yeah. a bit on both uh both programs and then you know during football season mm -hmm. obviously i'll do a lot of hosting during um, with Bears post game coverage and exactly. uh, the, fa the fantasy football show in the mornings on Sunday. So, um, and then you know it just depends. Do some fill in work as well when when guys take vacation. You know, frequently I'll, I'll fill in for them as well and just host whatever day parts are you know need to be filled in. Yeah, exactly. And so, like you said, I remember you used to do a lot of uh, shows last year, Fred Hubner. I talked to Fred last Friday, in fact, and I mentioned the same thing. I was like, yeah, I listen to you guys. And, I, you know, it's, it's become such a routine for me, whether it's Cap or Waddle and Sylvie or whatever the show. I'm, I'm, it's on every day. At some point, I have that on, uh, you know, one of the shows or you know, so it's always fun. And uh, like I said, it's like a family because I'm so used to, I hear the stories. I know they were going back and forth yesterday about like the wedding stuff and today. And so it's like, I remember the stuff that's said from months ago or whatever. And it's, it's just fun. But uh, yeah, I really, like, like I was saying, I really appreciate uh, like what you're like, for, like what you're doing specifically in terms of, you know, you can cover so many roles and I, you know, I, I like I always tell people, I always do the podcast stuff for fun, but I've really taken an appreciation towards the actual editing and learning about that that side of things, not just talking. But, you know, I love being able to talk with people like you and interview you guys and kind of pick your brain. So um, when you guys do it professionally, I think it's really cool and kind of an under, well, yeah, I guess kind of like an underappreciated art because I don't know if a lot of people really think about all the stuff that you're really doing every day. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where I think you just have to focus on, I guess, the one thing I, at least my approach has always been is, first and foremost, you have to be aware of in the moment, when mm -hmm. you're, if you're trying to create good good radio, you have to be a good listener. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not fully focused on what's being said to you, it's hard to have a real conversation, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's the first job. But then there's a checklist of things that you have to do as well. Uh, which that's where, you know, things you can, hopefully you can multitask and, um, juggle some balls in the air and be able to do, you know, uh, mul multiple things at once. And, you know, whether it's constantly checking, it's been an evolution because, um, when I started, Twitter didn't exist, mm -hmm. you know, face Facebook didn't, it didn't really, Facebook existed, but it, it was not what, you know. It certainly wasn't, um, it was more a college campus, uh, right. you know, hookup site than it was before it actually became what it is now. So like social media wasn't even part of the, you know, things that you worried about. 
back when I began, but obviously it's become critical. And like the, one of the first things I do when we start the show is open up Twitter because, mm. you know, or, t- or something, our tweet deck and just, all right, I'm going to be monitoring because I know that, you know, at some point something's going to cross mm-hmm. my feed or a different feed that is going to be, it's going to inject itself into our show somehow, some way, because, it, you know, I think it's, you have to recognize it's more than just if you're doing a radio show, it's not even a rate, you know, you're doing an, an audio show, you know, there's lots of people who are no longer listening in their cars. They're listening on their smart speakers at home, especially mm-hmm. during a pan- pandemic. Mm. So, you know, you've got a lot more people at home who are listening. And so if they're not driving their car, there's a decent chance that they could have their phone, you know, right alongside them and they're scrolling along to other stories. So if something big scrolls across that catches their attention, you know, in the sports realm, chances are that you're going to want to be commenting on it as well, because it's just, that's kind of just been the natural progression. Now I'm not saying you let Twitter or social media, you know, run your show, but I think you have to be acutely aware of what's going on. So that's one of the bigger changes that's happened over the, uh, you know, the timeline of my career. Um, in addition to that, though, I think, uh, you know, the editing, all the, all the pre-show stuff that goes into it, that's just, those are hopefully, you know, bells and whistles that add to the show. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that I, those are always complimentary pieces, too, because I think you really have to have the, 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 the genesis of the idea first before you can start figuring out, okay, how are we going to make this sound good? It's, all, it's always going to come down to, all right, is it a good idea? And then if it is a good idea you can work around it from there. Right. But, um, whatever you're talking about, whatever it's related to, whether it's sports or just general conversation, you know, it needs to be interesting or relevant for people to want to continue to listen. And so for me, it always starts with, okay, well, what's the idea? What's the main things we want to talk about today? And then everything else after that, we can figure out along the way. Yeah. And before I get into kind of the meat of what I was going to tell you or talk to you about, I guess what it reminds me of was like last year, I thought you guys did a great job of being entertaining and doing what you could on the radio with no sports during a obviously a pandemic, uh, I'm sure. I mean, as obviously as, as unprecedented as that was, and I don't even I think back to last I don't know May or April, and it's like you know I don't even remember what was happening exactly in terms of what you guys were talking about, but you guys made it work somehow. I, listen, I I don't think anybody would could tell you um, convincingly that you knew exactly what you were do, you were going to do on a day-to-day day basis right. uh, yeah. if, if you were talking, you know, sports, because that's obviously the first time when everything just shut down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and all of a sudden your daily content is gone, and now it's all about, okay, well, how do we adjust from here? I was working at Waddle and Sylvia at the time back in March when everything shut down. And, you know, it was easy the first week because you had instant reaction and yeah, you know, the reality was, okay, well, if you can just, you know, kind of like speculate and figure out where we going from here. But then mm-hmm. when the reality set in that nothing was starting up anytime soon, it became a challenge because we had to find ways to generate content. And, you know, that was definitely, it was more of a challenge, but I also think it's, it was in some ways it was easy to just say, okay, well, we're not res- we're not um, restrained by what happened in sports the previous night. You know, we were able to say, all right, well, if we're going to do something, we can roll up our sleeves and we don't have to worry necessarily about, um, you know, spending too much time on something 
that, you know, and getting away from the main story of the day that, you know, is the main reason why people do tune in. Because that's the one, I think, the one challenge is always, okay, we're, we think we're doing a fun topic where everyone's laughing, and but have we gotten too far away from the sports of the day? Right. You know, because you, you want, you like, even though one or two uh, out of four or five of your listeners may be entertained by what you're doing, you also have to recognize that, some people, you know, whatever you're talking about, there just may be it may be something they missed. Like I'm thinking about today, mm-hmm. we were talking we were talking about TV shows, right? Like, uh, Cap and Jay Hood today, and I mean, there was a portion of me too that like it's a fine line because you want to have fun and you don't always want to be um, mm-hmm. a slave to whatever you know this, you know spares talk all the time, but at the same time, like you do recognize, okay, well, there's there's probably a lot of people in the listening audience who either are not interested in this at all or they don't have context for what we're talking about. So Mm -hmm. it's going completely over their head. Right. So it's, you know, that's the one thing where you always have to try and balance that act that, but we were able to just say, you know what, we're uh, back in, you know, uh, March, April, May, we just were able to throw up our hands and say, all right, this is what we're doing. And if you want to uh, get on board, this is, you know, feel free. Um, And so in that regard, it was, interesting looking back on it because it was just it was a, it was unlike anything i've ever done because mm-hmm. it's always been let's talk about the day the, the sports of the day and for once it was no we don't have to do that we clearly can't we can't do that right and so what are we going to talk about well what are we doing you know and we we went from there and you know it was it i just think thinking back about it, it was it was a different type of challenge but it was also fun in some ways just to have that opportunity to do that yeah and i guess now it's nice to know that you guys can really cover or do anything i mean in terms of like you know obviously we hope another another pandemic or something like that doesn't happen obviously but it's kind of nice to know like okay we've survived this literally literally but figuratively also in terms of like well our station can kind of i think handle whatever comes our way so i don't know if you, you know what i mean but um in general i thought it was awesome that you guys were able to just kind of do what you were doing but so kind of getting into what i had for you so obviously you are the fantasy football guru um and you were actually you and abdallah you probably you might remember this i don't know you and abdallah were my first phone call just over a year ago i called in i was like mahomes or brady because i had both and anyway, now we have Mahomes. Now we have Mahomes and Brady in the Super Bowl. So, how do you like this Chiefs Buccaneers matchup? Um, I mean, it's kind of crazy. I know you guys were talking about in general. You know, it's kind of like the goat versus maybe the baby goat in terms of what Mahomes might be down the road. Sure. Yeah. Like in terms of matchups, when you really look at it, if you laid it all out, like this is. I don't know if you're ever going to see a matchup when they, you know, obviously I can't predict the future, but like, if you just think about it logically, you know, Brady's got six Super Bowls mm-hmm. and, uh, and this will be his 10th appearance and with an opportunity to win his seventh Super Bowl, you know, like, let's be honest, the re- the reality of that actually happening down the road, it seems kind of crazy, mm-hmm. but you could, if you kind of like try and wrap your head around it, you say, well, you know what? This is uh, Patrick Mahomes' second Super Bowl appearance, and he's 25 years old, and he may end up being the most talented quarterback to ever play in the league. I think that's on the table. And so to have this particular matchup, because it's a quarterback-driven league, let's you know, I think everybody who's watched the NFL for any period of time over the last, and especially over the last 10 to 15 years, 
because of the way the rules have really, you know, given way to passing and scoring, it, it has become more a quarterback league than it ever has been. And so because of that, you've got, like I said, you've got Brady at, at his age with as many Super Bowl titles and appearances on his resume in, you know, a new location where they get to be the first home team ever to play in the Super Bowl against the guy who, if you were going to say, well, I don't think anyone's ever going to break any of these records that Brady's already set, but if I had to pick somebody, it would probably be Patrick Mahomes because mm-hmm. of what he's done at this point. And if, you, if someone told you, you know what, Patrick Mahomes, if, if you came from the future and said, I'll tell you what, Patrick Mahomes does go on and break Brady's record for most Super Bowl titles, I don't think people would would be stunned. That would be something that you could say, well, yeah, like it seems outrageous, but I knew at 25 years old he was great. He had already won a Super Bowl. He'd already had an MVP to his name, um, a probable second, you know, runner-up this year. And so, you know, it wouldn't be stunning if years from now we're talking about Patrick Mahomes breaking some of Brady's all-time records. And so to have this matchup, you know, if you don't, if you don't have any – rooting interest if you just set that aside as a pure football matchup i i'm hard pressed i was trying to think about this the other day i'm hard pressed to come up with any like better matchup you Mm -hmm. know what i mean like it's just the hype surrounding this one now i don't know how the game will play out i i actually i expect that the chiefs i think will have more than enough offense to take care of business but like in terms of the lead up and run up to the game i don't know if we'll ever see a game to match the hype that we're going to get for this one. Because I, I just, I, I, it's hard to imagine somebody with, you know, as exciting as Patrick Mahomes at, in the infancy of their career going up against somebody like mm-hmm. in Brady's position. So it's, it's phenomenal when I break it down from that aspect and, you know, that's just talking about the quarterbacks. We haven't even gotten to all the other, you know, great players that are going to be in the game as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm extremely excited about the opportunity to have these two games because, uh, you know, it's, it's not, it's not always as fun when you have one dominant team and then another team that maybe is maybe plucky, but not necessarily the, the dominant team in the other conference. Maybe, maybe they just weren't as, you know, if you don't have the matchup on paper to look as good, it's not always as compelling going into the start of the game. And like I said, I don't, I, you just, I, I don't know if you could have picked a better matchup uh, if you were doing it just from, you know, off of like looking around and said, okay, this is what I want. I, it's hard. It's hard to find a better matchup on paper. Yeah. Do, do you have either um, a rooting interest or I guess, who do you think will end up winning? So, yeah, so I, I think the Chiefs um, will just be too good because, I, you, you know, consider they were they were 14-1 and one yeah. going into the final week before they rested all their players. And they just, it, you know, outside of the, the one loss to the Raiders, they really always seem like it's, it's, it, it rarely comes down to, you know, a challenge for them. It always seems like they have the answers. And I, like... Even though the Bucks beat the Packers on Sunday, I don't. I wasn't. They didn't do it convincingly. You know, they mm-hmm. they had to survive uh, some, or they had to, they could say thank you to just you know some woeful coaching decisions by you know at, at the end of the half when Scotty Miller scores that long touchdown on a terrible defensive call by Mike Patton, and then you know you've got Matt Lafleur with the questionable fourth down field goal. So you know, I think there was 
every opportunity for the Packers to maybe pull that game out. I don't, I don't see the Bucks creating as much pressure as they were able to uh, against Tom Brady. I think Patrick Mahomes with with Tyreek Hill and Kelsey, they will just have so many mismatches. I, I and Mahomes has the ability to get out of the pocket if he needs to. Um, he's a little bit better at that than Aaron Rodgers is. And not that Aaron Rodgers isn't also mobile, but you know, the fact that Mahomes has the ability to do so a little bit better than Rodgers does these days. I think if he's forced out of the pocket, he can still make big plays. Um, so I, I just, I lean towards the chiefs right now because I, I, I just, Tom Brady's not playing at the level mm-hmm. that he was whatever, three or four years ago. And even though we all fall in love with the the storyline of the forty three year old in the game, I, I you know I, I think ultimately it's going to be hard to match the points that, that the Chiefs put up this Sunday or not this Sunday next Sunday. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I do think the Chiefs will win. I do think it will probably. I feel like it'll be close, but yeah, um, it's funny for me. It's like even though I think the Chiefs are the better team and all that, I it's and probably for everybody it's so hard for me to count out a guy like Brady alone but I'm with you same thing with Mahomes I can't count out Mahomes either and I think what's the stat it's like he hasn't lost a game by more than a possession since his like high school career or something crazy like that so I mean it's just insane but yeah I do think the Chiefs will win and go back to back but uh I don't know I guess at this I guess I would be surprised right now if I thought Tampa Bay would win or ended up winning. I guess I'd be surprised. But then I think about Brady and I'm like, I don't know. It's so hard to count him out. Sure. But, you know, the one, and it's, you know, look, though, it's, you know, he lost to Nick Foles in the Super Bowl. That's true. Was, you know, it's, it's yeah. not, it's, he's not invincible. He's, mm-hmm. you know, lost twice to Eli Manning as well. So, right. you know, it's not, it's not something where I, you know, and again, this is, it. I'm trying to think back, but like, this is. I'm trying to remember when the last time Tom Brady was in a Super Bowl, where you would say he was not the best quarterback mm. on the field. Any, I mean, you might have to go back to the first one against yeah. the Rams mm-hmm. when Kurt Warner and the Greatest Show on Turf, you know, and nobody knew really who much about Tom Brady aside yeah. from that run that he made in his second season. And you know, that might be the last time where you'd say the better quarterback is on the other side of the ball. But I think you. You know, if you've been watching, you know, definitively, Patrick Mahomes is the better quarterback in this Super Bowl. Again, that takes nothing away from Tom Brady. It's just at this stage of their career, Patrick Mahomes can do more than Tom Brady can. And he's going to need a little bit of help. Yeah. Whereas you feel like Patrick Mahomes, you know, I feel like offensively, the Bucks, the Bucks defense is really going to have to come to play and help Brady out. Because if they get into a shootout, I just have a hard time believing that the Bucks will be able to do more than the Chiefs. So the Bucks defense is going to have to make some plays to allow for Tom Brady to win his seventh Super Bowl, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a good, very good point. Yeah, I do think the Chiefs will win. It should definitely be entertaining and interesting, to say the least, as uh, the buildup will only intensify, I'm sure, over the next week. So obviously, the other very popular topic, of course, is Deshaun Watson. I know you guys have been all over it. Do you, I guess, uh, my question that I wrote down for you was, where do you think he ends up? But also, I guess, the second part of that, maybe this would be the first answer, I don't know, but what do you think the chances are the Bears could actually somehow pull that off? Because I know the whole thing about, you know, Pace had his chance before, and do they even have the, you know, capital to, to trade for him? Yeah, when it, you know, when you really look at it, it seems like the most likely destination 
is Miami. You know, um, just because of where what they have traffic wise, and the fact that they could include Tua Tagovailoa in a you know in any trade for Watson. And so when you look at that, if I'm the Texans, of all the opportunities, if you're going to have to trade your franchise quarterback, you know, to have Tua come back to you and the third overall pick, you know. It's not what you want, but it, it makes it makes a trade like that palatable. Whereas, you know, so so they seem like the most logical destination to me. The Jets are also, you know, again, with a second overall pick, there you go. If you like Zach Wilson, you like Justin Fields, you can have the ready-made replacement there. Uh, you know, and then obviously the Jets would have to, I, I'd imagine, throw in, a, you know, at least one more first-round pick. You know, I think could... Could the Bears make a deal to turn the Texans' head? I think it, I think anything's possible. The question is, how outrageous are you willing to get? Mm. I've been making the argument that, like, I'm not out there looking to trade as many picks as possible away to land Deshaun Watson. But with the position the Bears are in, I mean, I'd have like if the Texans were willing to take the quantity over the known quality. And by that, I mean like, okay, the, the Bears say we're willing to do four or five first-round picks because we want to be the team that's offering the most. You know, and if the Texans said to themselves, well, you know, we don't have a top three pick coming back in this trade, but, you know, four or five first-round picks is too much to pass up the opportunity you cost there, then – if I was Ryan Pace, I would strongly consider it. I mean, I, and, I, and I think I would probably be willing to go there because the way I look at it, you know, you're you're lucky to have like a, a little over the, a fifty percent hit rate for first round picks. It, this is across the league, you right, know, right. historically. And then and then you can make and then when when I say hit rate too, you have to you have to wonder, okay, what do you mean by hit rate? Are we talking about you know? I'm not talking about guys who are pro bowlers when a lot of times when you see the term hit rate for first round draft picks, you're just talking about a certain threshold of number of starts Mm. that a guy has made in the NFL. And I think anybody can agree that just because a guy makes, you know, I don't know, 64 starts in his NFL career doesn't necessarily mean that he's a hit, right? Right. You'd, You'd agree with that probably. So you know, even the idea that, you know, a, a guy is a hit in the first round, when you really dig deep, sometimes I think you could argue about, you know, the term hit. So looking at it just statistically from that standpoint, I think, you know, if you gave up, again, I'm getting extreme here, Will, but if you gave up five first round picks, you know, I, I think, you know, expecting more than three of those guys to be really good players is a little ambitious on your part, you know, because mm-hmm. you just, you go through the history of drafts and even good GMs, you know, miss out of first round picks. So yeah, yeah. first round picks are always more valuable on paper when you're trading them away. And it's people true. who don't want to trade them, they'll look back and say, oh, look who you passed on. Look who you, you could have had. But the reality is like, you like, you know, I, like we do this with the bears all the time. The, uh, um, you know, the, the bears drafted Adam Shaheen. Well, they, they drafted Mitchell Trubisky, Adam Shaheen and was, I think it was, was a Tariq Cohen. And when they could have had Pat Mahomes, George Kittle and Alvin Kamara, you know, but the reality was they were never, you know, they were never lining up for those 
three players in particular. You know what I mean? Yep. It's like you can pluck out the three plus best players in any draft and say, oh, our team could have had them. Mm-hmm. But it just it doesn't work that way. That's yeah. So if you come to grips with you're probably not going to hit on every first-round pick, then at that point I start to say, okay, well, you've got the certainty of a franchise quarterback, the most important position in sports. And Sean Watson, who's 25 years old, going to be 26. Listen, I don't want to give up the first round picks, but if I can figure out this quarterback position, then I'll 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 worry about everything else mm-hmm. later. You know, right. like Ryan Pace has had success in later rounds. He's found some players that have been good good guys, and yeah. you know, it, again, it wouldn't be ideal, but you get the franchise quarterback. And I'm not even you know, we're not even I'm not even throwing that around loosely. I you know, I truly believe Deshaun Watson right now undeniably is the top five quarterback in the league. Oh yeah. And I would probably, I would probably put him in my top three. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got Mah- I got Mahomes and then I'd probably go Wilson and Watson, gotcha. you know, and, and J- like and Josh Allen's in there, but he, you know, he still needs to prove it sure. another year. So like for me, Watson is the second or third best quarterback in football. And the only other one uh, aside from Mahomes, who I would probably put over him right now is Russell Wilson, but mm-hmm. Wilson's 30 years old. Yeah. So, when you know when you're talking about a franchise quarterback who's 25 years old, I, you know I, I don't know if there's any price that's too high if you could actually go make it happen. Now the question is, would the Texans even entertain that? Because even five first round picks, not knowing you know any of them, any of them would be a top ten pick, that might not even be interesting to them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if there's going to be a bidding war, you know the Texans and the Dolphins are in on it. I have a hard time seeing the Texans passing whatever the Dolphins, you know, are willing to pony up if they're truly interested in Sean Watson. Yeah, and you guys were talking on Carmen and Yurko a little bit earlier today about, uh, I guess it was kind of like in a scenario of like a three-team trade if Tua ended up in, say, the Bears' hands or whatever. How do you how do you feel or how do you like Tua? I know he it was his first year and he's coming off the injury and you, you were mentioning that earlier, but I guess how do you like Tua? And then maybe it's too hard to even say after this past season maybe he needs more time but what do you think so far about him yeah when i look at it from if i if i if you just added Tua into this draft class i think i would probably put him you know after trevor lawrence and um fields you know i like well no see i actually think it sounds like zach wilson is actually more likely at least everything i've read recently has zach wilson being the second overall quarterback taken right now because of, you know, and, and when you look at scouts still, they still have to get really, you know, into their, into their film study, you know, in terms of breaking down every throw that a guy makes, but it sounds like from people who have done that work somewhat so far that Zach Wilson is the more polished prospect and more likely to be taken second overall. Um, I'm not going to lie. I didn't watch a whole lot of Zach Wilson, you know, on a throw by throw basis this year. So I like, I like, this is just, you know, going off of what experts say. Uh, I, you know, I've seen a lot of Trevor Lawrence, but I didn't, I did not watch nearly as much of Zach Wilson. So I would say that from what I saw of Tua, I think the opportunity for Tua, if you, if you had, if you gave up your first round pick, which is what I think Bill Barnwell um, just threw out there as a possibility, which would be the 20th overall pick by the bears, for Tua, I would be okay with that. I think that's interesting. Um, a guy who, you know, you go back 18 months or so and he was going to be consensus number one overall pick. 
before Joe Burrow had like the season of all seasons for a college football quarterback and then hit to a, you know, hurt his hip. You know, I think you have to be open to the idea that Tua, you know, still recovering, mm-hmm. still getting, you know, healthy, and the fact that he was thrown into the fire the way he was, it was, it was, you know, it, not every quarterback comes in and just, you know, blows the doors off teams. And, you know, the Dolphins, they, they're, they're lacking some skill position players as well. Tua made some really, really dynamic throws this season. He, but he also had some plays where you're just wondering like, okay, I, you know, I, I didn't think that he would have mistakes like that. So I think he's still very raw. And I think the possibility, uh, the ceiling for him is still, you know, I lean back on the old scouting reports when he was entering the draft is that he was one of the best college football prospects scouts had ever seen. And so, you know, we're only, you know, it was an injury that really cratered that. And so, I'm open. If, if you could, if, if that was the decision, I, I'd much prefer trading for Tua over drafting somebody like you know forcing mm-hmm. the issue and maybe drafting a Mac Jones or yeah. maybe you know I or Kyle Trask. I don't even know if Kyle Trask could be on the board, but mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Like I, I think I'd be more open to the idea of trading for Tua rather than forcing the fifth or sixth quarterback off the board mm. at 20 because you're desperate. Yeah. I mean, how do you, how do you look at Tua? Well, what's your, yeah, it's funny because I, so I know that he, it's funny to me, I guess like overall, I was, I was so impressed this past season with all these young quarterbacks from like, you know, Kyler Murray to Justin Herbert to Tua to even Hertz and Philly. I mean, all these guys, it seems like I know like Tua's kind of, being eased in maybe or you know he isn't quite maybe on a Kyler Murray level for instance but in general it seemed like these quarterbacks were just coming into the league and starting and winning games one way or the other whether it was all the quarterback or just you know maybe the the way they were used they're still making good plays here and there um I I mean I don't know a ton about Tua but in general I think I really like the Dolphins, I guess, their situation because it was just, what, two years ago now that that team was one of the worst. They traded Mika Fitz, uh, Fitzpatrick right to Pittsburgh, and then now Miami has turned it around very fast, and it shows you in the NFL how teams like Arizona and Miami can kind of go from horrible to at least on that playoff bubble, if not in the playoffs. But I, I, I kind of liked... I thought it was interesting how they were kind of utilizing the quarterback situation in Miami between Tua and Ryan Fitzpatrick. Kind of, It sort of like seemed like... Fitzpatrick was coming in to kind of help close games out, I guess. But um, I guess in my mind, Tua feels sort of like, you know, like you said, he kind of the coming off that injury first season. I'm curious to see how he does. I feel like he would be a good, I feel like he's a good prospect. I feel like he still has something that he can show and potentially still blossom. Um, so I, I like him. Now, if, you know, if, I guess kind of thinking about that scenario earlier where it was like, if it was a three-team trade and he, he was the guy kind of the consolation prize, I guess depending on what you're giving up to ultimately land him, it could be a good addition for that team. I guess as long as the situation is right. I know that's a whole other thing in terms of with uh, Nagy and you know the offense and all that. But I like Tua in general. I think he could still be really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I guess the one thing I would say is like when I, you know why would the Texans not keep Tua, you know, right. like, like it's like, even if they were interested in drafting a player, like just theoretically, if they would, if they got their third overall pick back from the Dolphins who currently have the rights to it, 
from that Tunsil trade if they if they got that third overall pick back, and even if there were there's a quarterback they were interested in, I don't I, like you know if I'm running a franchise, I guess I guess the Texans are the wrong you know team to point to and say you this is what you should do logically. But if I was running a franchise, even if I liked the quarterback in the draft, I mean if Tool was involved in a deal. I'd, I'd still bring them both in. And I, you know, there's yeah. so much upside and untapped potential mm-hmm. with Tua that I would be like, you know what? Let's bring them both in and let's, you know, let's go for, uh, open competition first year and we'll see how it goes and we'll go from there. And, you know, a year later, you can choose which quarterback you want to go with going forward. Yeah. You know, they're like, like, like I, I find that, I find that trade scenario more unrealistic than the Bears just trying to blow the Texans away with like multiple first round picks and, you know, entice them that way. Yeah. The three team sort of deal kind of seems tricky for sure. I think it was funny. I think I caught like the middle of that convo too. So I didn't even maybe even hear the full thing, but it was like, Oh, it's interesting to think about, but it will be interesting to see how that all obviously plays out. And, you know, I was talking with Adam earlier about Adam. I mean, earlier about this and I was like, you know, I'm so you know, Trevor Lawrence is as sure, I mean, potentially as sure a thing as you could come across, but Deshaun Watson is the full, like we know what he is right now. And if you're like the Jets, like you mentioned, or the, or the, you know, not that the Jaguars would do this, but let's just say they both have that, that capital. Let's say the Jets wanted to, in fact, he even said this, he thought the Jets could be a good potential landing spot for Watson because they have all that capital they could trade. And while, uh, while Trevor Lawrence might be the next great thing, we know right now how good Deshaun Watson is. What do you think about something like that? Whereas if the Jets were, you know, they were like, we're going to just trade our, what, number two draft pick instead of taking Lawrence, just trade for Watson. So for the Jets to trade away their second pick, um, or, or the Jags, do you mean? Really either team. I mean, they're both kind of in that same, I guess that same scenario in terms of the top two picks. They have a bunch of capital. They could probably move if they really wanted to. Yeah, I think the interesting thing is, like, you know, if you're... Uh, Urban Meyer and the Jacksonville Jaguars, and you have Trevor Lawrence right there, who you know, as you said, you know he's the you know the the best college football quarterback to come out since you know you know everyone says since Andrew Luck. If that's the case, you know, I, I th- you you could see okay, well you've got you've got him, and you know you've got him on a rookie deal for five years, so that has a lot of value as well. True. You can build the team up around him. But like, if if I'm the Jaguars, still, I think there's there's still like, I, and again, I love Trevor Lawrence. I think he's going to be great. But the more you watch, to the more you realize that there's just things you can't know until you see a guy actually play at the NFL level and prove it. And even though everyone thinks that Trevor Lawrence is going to be great, yeah. that you know, it's not it's not uh, assured. And so I think there's always that little bit of uncertainty where if, you know, I was Urban Meyer and I I wouldn't trade anything more, but like I would be willing to at least have a conversation about, okay, you know, I'd be willing to trade Trevor Lawrence, the first overall pick for Deshaun Watson. That's something I would certainly be interested in because just the uncertainty with, you know, you just never know, you know what I mean? Like, and even as good as, Andrew Luck, you know, was he still, you know, I think when all is said and done, I think Colts fans are probably very disappointed with the way his entire situation worked out. Right. Yeah, right. Because he, he, he got beaten up early in his career 
suffered some serious injuries. And by the time, you know, he was turning 30, he was checking out of the NFL and retiring. So, you know, that was extremely disappointing for Colts fans. Like, I'm not saying that's going to happen with with Trevor Lawrence, but like, like what, you know, if he's on the Jaguars and they don't have, he's playing behind the line Mm -hmm. and he's getting beat up, you know, like David Carr's career Mm. was ruined because, you know, the Texans, he just got killed behind the Texans offensive line, but I think he got sacked 70 or 80 times his rookie year. It was like an absurd number of times and over 100 times in his first two seasons. Yeah. And he was like, he never even got a chance to, you know, really become an NFL player because he just got killed behind a terrible offensive line. Well, Deshaun Watson has already played behind a terrible offensive line and done so and played successfully. The Texans were a pretty bad offensive line. I think it was the second year when they went, uh, he was ten and five, I believe. I, I don't know uh, who started. The, it might have been Tom Savage who started the other game. But they made the playoffs, and he he was you know running for his life most plays behind a terrible offensive line. That's actually what spurred them to go get Laramie Tunsil. So you know, like I, Deshaun Watson has proven, even though it's not ideal, you'd like to have a good offensive line in front of him. He's proven though that he can you know, and a lot a lot like Russell Wilson. He can play behind a bad offensive line and still succeed. So yeah. I think you know that I I I started to I think become wiser the more I watch sports and recognize that as tantalizing as the prospects are, yeah, you can't dismiss the sure things. The guys have already who have already proven it. And right. you know if it was Deshaun Watson uh, or Trevor Lawrence, I, I'll take Deshaun Watson right now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, not, over the unknown right yeah exactly that's exactly what my mindset was kind of with that and you know it's funny real fast about zach wilson i know blocking up dollar were high on them on high on him and they were at one point hoping that potentially he could somehow fall in the bear's lap at like you know 20 or whatever but you said he might be second so i guess there goes that listen will for all the uh everyone who's listening to your podcast right now like just go go do a couple uh google searches of, of the most recent mock drafts and right. you'll see zach wilson's like number two in, in in most of them right now so anything that's been done you know since basically i think the uh the play the nfl playoffs have started most of the mock drafts i'm reading have zach wilson going second now i guess you can always ask the question is that just a group thing like you you know if if someone like mel kuyper puts zach wilson too does you know does that mean then that all Mm. the a lot of the other people kind of just fall in line and say okay well mel's got zach wilson too so i can't put him too much lower than three or four you know what i mean yeah that's the one thing with the mock drafts with so many people doing them these days where you, you where it's hard to get out of the group thing but um, right now, Zach Wilson and a lot of them is going, you know, as high as number two. So I don't think there's any chance he's going to make it to the Bears, <laughs> and they won't they won't be able to trade up high enough. Yeah. wherever he ends up getting selected yeah definitely so switching gears of course to your white socks so i'm sure you're pumped for this upcoming season right i can't remember being more excited for a white sock season you know even so the year they won the world series in 2005 that was kind of an unexpected run yep. like, you know they were good but heading into the season i nobody thought right they were they were going to go wire to wire yep. leading the division you know that that just wasn't the case and by the time September rolled around, the White Sox, anybody who's a Sox fan will remember, they hit a scu- uh, they scuffled in September yep. for about a two-week stretch where the, the, you thought, boy, if they get swept, it was the playoffs be- began. I don't think anybody would have been surprised the way September was going for them. 
but they got they got they got it together a little bit at the very end of September, like the last you know three or four days. They seemed to be getting right again, and then all of a sudden they went on you know a historic run. So as as great a season as that was, it was unexpected in some ways. I've never had so much hype about a White Sox team, at least not since um, since I you know. I was 13 in 1994, so I was young. But um, that was the year when all the White Sox, you know, top picks had finally arrived and been around for a couple of years with Jack McDowell, Robin Ventura, Frank Thomas. You know, they had uh, Jason Bray, Wilson Alvarez. They had uh, Alex Fernandez. So they were loaded and ready to go. And they were playing well uh, in 1993, continued in 1994. And then the, then the strike happened. And everything just got put on hold. There was no World Series that year. And they, by the time they finally reconvened playing baseball again uh, in 95, it was pretty clear that the Cleveland Indians had built themselves a dynasty in the process and had basically overtaken whatever the White Sox were doing. So I have not been as excited for a White Sox team since, 19, since the start of the 1994 season. So, yeah, yeah I'm ecstatic. And really, it's, you know... The playoffs they, they are, for me, a foregone conclusion. If they don't make the playoffs, mm-hmm. something disastrous has happened. But I, it's it's got to be more than the playoffs, too. There's going to be some expectations because they made the playoffs last year. So right. now it's, you know, you know, it, it, I know you hate to say, okay, we'll go win the World Series, but they've invested a lot of money, mm-hmm. and there's really very few holes. So I'm, you know, I'm hoping that this could be the year that they win their uh, second World Series in a long, you know, for the first time in a long time. Yeah, you know, I was, I was asking Fred the same thing last week. I said, I know that the World Series or bust label was kind of put out there. I think even the team was like, you know, we wanted, we see big things, obviously. So I was wondering if you kind of were looking at it as World Series or, but, or bust. And um, like you said, you playoffs, foregone conclusion. And obviously you want to see how it all plays out from there. I guess looking at the team right now, we know the lineup is is just stacked. A guy like Trevor Bauer is still out there. I don't know that the Sox, I don't know who's in this. Obviously, we don't know who's going to sign Bauer. But do you like the team as is right now? Or is there maybe a few pieces where you're like, we're, we're very good. We could probably, you know, make that run. But maybe we could shore up this spot or, you know, something like that. Um, I mean, I think they're pretty They're pretty strong. There's fewer and fewer holes. I, I love the addition of Liam Hendricks because... You know, I, listen, I, I think they were always going to have somebody who had been able to close out games. But I think more so what it does is it, it lengthens, lengthens the bullpen. You know, you have Hendricks locked into the ninth inning role. Um, he can give you, you know, more than he can give you multiple innings if needed too. In the playoffs especially, that will be huge. But, you know, that's just, you know, you've got so many good arms in the bullpen and now you can kind of, they all fall in line into their slots. You know, when you talk about, you know, uh, Bummer, Crochet, um, Cody Hoyer, you know, they're just loaded in the bullpen now. And I think what that's going to do is really make them a strong regular season team. But also, you know, you're gonna, some guys are going to get hurt. That just happens in, you know, in baseball. Our arms blow out. Somewhere along the lines, they're going to lose some. But they have so much depth in their bullpen that I think they've done a nice job of, you know, combating that. So they should be strong in the bullpen when the playoffs roll around and you know anybody who i think has paid attention has noticed that you know come playoff time it's really chances are you're not going to lean on your starter to go much more 
been five, six innings tops, you know, because you get into those high leverage situations, you're going to want to go to a fresh arm who's, you know, a dominant guy out of the pen because it's just statistically it's in your best interest. You don't want to let your starter go a third time through the order. So I love the addition of Hendricks and the way it lengthens their bullpen specifically for the playoffs. I think it allows them to, you know, throughout the season, they, they probably won't blow late in games, you know, where at, at least at the frequency that other teams around the league will, which um, when your starters then give you the occasional seven or eight inning game, you know, that just lets you know that, okay, the next game we've got our full arsenal of weapons, out, our arms out of the bullpen there. So I think it sets them up to be a really good regular season team as well. And the reason I'm all... I'm World Series or bust is because I don't really think I don't really believe in the idea that you learn how to win playoff baseball. You know, like maybe in the NBA, mm. you know, I can buy into the idea that you need to learn how to win playoff basketball. But I think there's just so much uh, randomization to a to winning baseball games, specifically in short series. You know, if you get it down to like a three game series with the A's or a five or even a seven game series in the grand scheme of things, really good baseball teams throughout a hundred of the course of a 162 game season lose four out of seven very frequently. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and to, and to bad teams, that's just the reality of baseball. So when you get to the playoffs, like it, unfortunately it's, it's, you got to take advantage of your opportunities when they come to you. I don't think you really, learn how to win playoff baseball it's you're either you either perform at that stage and you played the matchups right that year and you had guys hit well mm-hmm. and you know hopefully your timing was fortunate and you know because the best team in baseball does not always win it's just well i i guess yeah you kind of you, you, it's like two different things the best team over a 162 game season is not necessarily the team that's going to go and win through the playoffs now i guess the rare exception would be if you have multiple aces on your staff that allow you the opportunity when the playoffs roll around to kind of dominate in a similar fashion um, where you can maybe lean on those arms too more in the playoffs. But that's a rarity and very few teams have those dominant pitchers the way they once did. I'm thinking particularly of like, you know, the probably the biggest example is um, he was in the news this week. You know, Kurt Schilling and Randy mm. Johnson dom- yep. dominating for the Diamondbacks yeah. um, back in 2001. So, you know, it, it's just it's hard to win in the baseball in the playoffs of Major League Baseball. And so, for me, I you know I'm I don't I can't guarantee or anything that it would be this year, but I think this year's as good a chance as any for the White Sox to win. And just if they go far this year, like you can't count on it. To, you know, running it back and, and going farther the next year. It doesn't work the same way it does in other sports. Yep. In particular, all you need to do is look across town at the Cubs mm. and see and see what happened to them. Yep. You know, everybody assumes 2016, okay, here we go. Here's a dynasty that's ready to begin. And then you saw, it, I, you know, I think too much is made of these, the, the, you know, the losses in 17 and 18, you know, and 19. I, it wasn't, I just, that's playoff baseball sometimes, you know, you don't always win. Yeah. And it's it's sometimes not your fault. 
is the reality of baseball. Yeah, 16 was, I mean, from the from my Cubs perspective, 16 obviously was crazy. Like you mentioned, the best team doesn't always win. And, you know, that year, of course, the Cubs were one of those few teams with the best record all year and winning it when it mattered, even when they were up against the, you know, the, yeah, like you said, 17, 18. You know, 17, I gave them a pass because they, they got to the NLCS. And then 18, it was like, all right, whatever, reset, do it again in 19. But then by then it was like, okay, this thing has gotten stale somewhere along the lines. And now, of course, we see Darvish getting traded for, we don't even know, prospects can be a crapshoot, but it just felt underwhelming just in the sense that they didn't get maybe the top prospects you would have hoped for if they were going to trade them or, you know, so curious to see now what happens with Bryant and you know what how what, what they do going forward how they even play out this year I mean, because the NL Central is so um you know there's just not a lot that really sticks out at you I feel like in the NL Central so even though the Cubs the vibe doesn't feel good about the Cubs it's like they might win that division by default or at least be in the picture sure no it's you're right it's a very winnable division and you know that was the one thing where I've made this argument a few times you know conversely if you're the cubs and you have a division that's you know very few teams really look like they're going to you know be competitive or 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 anything more than you know uh 85 win team per se then i think you can that you know that was the one thing i had a hard time reconciling with um trading away you darvish for salary relief right you know you know the I, I agree. The Cubs very well, you know, if with Darvish on the roster as they were constructed, they wouldn't be favorites in the NL by any means. But I, I think there would have been co-favorites to win the NL Central. And when you give up your best pitcher um, and you, you know, um, you, you let John Lester walk, even though I don't think that was necessarily a bad move because he's kind of hit a stage in his career where right. I think it's hard to count on him for much. But like I think you know, if with Darvish and Hendricks at the top of the rotation, you know, if you if you got a few, if you if you made a few shrewd moves um, on the cheap, you might have been able to find your way into eighty six, eighty seven wins. Yep. And then again, like back to the you know, you have a couple aces in the playoffs. You never know what's going to happen. Maybe you get lucky, and all of a sudden you're making a, a run. Like. It, that's the one thing about baseball that, like, as as much fun as it is to day in and day out live and die with your team during the regular season, it can be so frustrating because the best team does not always win. And based on that, I think that's the the opposite argument why the Cubs just not you know selling off every last uh, part maybe made sense because if they could just sneak into the playoffs, you never know you might get hot. And crazy things can happen. So that was my that was the one point where I felt like the new Darvish trade it was disappointing if you're a Cubs fan because as you mentioned, very little return, nothing that's gonna help anytime soon. Mm-hmm. And you, you you just wonder, you know, I look at their financial situation and I personally wonder how much the Ricketts decision to buy up so many properties around the ballpark is factoring in to, you know, the decisions they're making with their payroll. Um, You know, because unlike other teams that have just been, you know, have lost revenue based on the fact that they don't have fans in the stands, the Cubs are hit worse because all the surrounding businesses that they've invested in, are also re- reliant on having fans go to Wrigley Field. And so it's for them, you know, 
been especially difficult, I have to imagine, in terms of lost revenue and all the debt services that they still owe. So, you know, it's one of those things, though, that without access to what their books look like, we're not privy to, you know, what they're choosing to pay out. And I mean, when they're just offloading players for very little return, I think you have to wonder, well, did the, you know, the Cubs maybe over leverage themselves, at least the Ricketts family, to a point where, you know, Cubs fans may not be happy with the product on the field for some time. Yeah, exactly. It felt like the Miami Mar or the, the old Florida Marlins, you know, just dumping payroll. And I hate that. I mean, we it's one thing if you're going to trade and re sort of retool. I was all for that, but uh, not at the expense of just for the sake of salary relief. It's like, okay, we're not, we're not trying to see a, a full rebuild here. I have one last topic for you. I'm sure your voice can use a break too, but one last thing I wanted to ask you about the Blackhawks. Have you, uh, kind of been watching the the Hawks much uh, so far this year? Uh, My interest is certainly waning, I have to admit. Um, You know, it's been difficult to watch. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, I think the... They have always roped me in with, you know, I still love to watch Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, but this year, without Jonathan Taves and with no clarity as to why he is not on the ice, you know, that we're still waiting to find out what they know about his condition and why he is, you know, feeling lethargic and still trying to, you know, find answers to that. So I think, you know, without the combination of Caves and Kane, it's been even more depressing, you know, to really kind of, you know, get in on a night in and night out basis. And then, you know, they, a lot of the young players haven't been, um, you know, they, they haven't given you reason to watch. The Brinkett's been out with, you know, yep. on the COVID list. So, you know, there's, uh, you know, and then and then the fact that, you know, you've lost, you know, Corey Crawford as well, and they've been trying to figure out, you know, a, a situation and goal that, you know, which I don't know if uh, Lankanen is really the answer long-term. He's looked better as of late. But, you know, I, I it's, for me, there's not a whole lot of uh, positives with the Hawks right now, I've been checking in periodically for the job, well, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to lie. I haven't been completely, you know, locked into uh, all three periods every night. Like I, I would be um, back in the day when they were competitive. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's, if this is the stage they're at. It's disappointing. And, um, you know, for me without, without Taves on the ice, it's even harder to, you know, find reasons to want to, you know, watch, uh, watch Kane and Taves for nostalgia's sake. I mean, look, Kane is still phenomenal. He's still one of the best offensive players in the league. But, you know, Kane without Taves, it's just, it's, it makes me sad. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I know what you mean. I, uh, I I always liked to watch the Hawks, especially during their glory years. And now, I, and I'm also a Jackets fan because I used to live in Columbus. So I've been, you know, I it's kind of the same for me. It, it's, it can be hard to watch that team sometimes, um, but then they get on their little roll and they, you know, at least get to the playoffs, but I'll be kind of obviously keeping, uh, keeping an eye on both teams this weekend as they both play each other. And they're both back in the central division for this year, at least at first time since like the first decade, basically. So it's kind of fun to at least, uh, see the Hawks a few times this year for me. Like I said, it's, it's just, it's for me as a Hawks fan, Personally, it, it's hard to, I don't know, it's hard to get excited about a team that's, you know, right. one of one of the worst in the league, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so even even when they're playing, um, you know, teams that they don't normally, you know, 
see even because of the, the the division alignment this year. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's for me, you know, I've always been a fan of uh, Patrick Line when he was on the, on the Jets. So mm-hmm. I guess uh, I guess seeing him will be interesting. But, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, it's just when your your team's not really that good. It right. doesn't feel like they're going to be competitive. And, and again, I guess I guess the the other part is when your best player is not a young player who is on the ascent, but actually Patrick Kane, who you know is is you know in the probably the last if you even want to, he's, he's obviously past his prime. Yeah. But he may you may you may be watching the last best year of his career. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that that in itself is depressing too because it's hard to look around and say, all right, I can get excited to watch this guy every night. So yeah, for as a Hawks fan, you, you know you would never trade away the three titles, but you know on the back end, it, it, it also when the expectations have been raised the way the way they were for that period of time, you know it leaves you feeling a little bit sad and nostalgic for the good old days, especially yeah. when Kane's still out out there on the ice and you're like, and you see Duncan Keith is you know not even you know a shadow of his the former player that he once was, so you're just like. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. Like waiting for the for something to get excited about, but unfortunately, there's there's right now not a whole lot for Hawks fans. I think to to really feel good about. Yeah, the one maybe sort of silver lining might be Kevin Lincoln. In he's had some good games lately, so maybe they found an answer there. But uh, we'll see how we'll see how it goes. I at least from your perspective as a Hawks fan, um, you know Columbus is so hit or miss. That the, the Hawks very easily could steal both games this weekend for what that's worth. Yeah, I, I yeah, I guess. But like I said, you look at their division and the way it's structured this year. I, you know, uh, right? I know that I know. Yeah, the Hawks have been better over, over the last five games or so, where they've grabbed a point. But it's it. The NHL also is so. I don't know how how you've uh, kind of come to to uh, reckon with it, Will, but like. The whole shootout loss point mm, yep. and the way it, it just makes, you know, each game, well, it's like each game too, like when you, you, you know, getting a point it be, versus a, an outright win, in, you know, in regulation, it, it's so critical to get those wins in regulation. You know what I mean? Because yeah. you're, 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 it's just the way the points are now doled out in the NHL. It makes for, you know, this bunched up, you know, amalgamation of teams and by the, you know, a lot of it doesn't, if you can't, distance yourself in the standings you know by the time you're rolling into the last couple weeks then you're going to have a problem you know if you're chasing points at the end of the year because it's just so hard a lot of times not to get a you know at least one point by default the way things work so um it's weird but i i I don't know how how nhl traditionalists feel or i guess not traditionalists but like if you've been a long time nhl fan it's weird but i actually um I prefer the days of the outright ties. Right. Like it, it, like it actually meant something in the standings. Whereas now it feels like, okay, well, ah, you lost, but you got a points. And, and so, you know, and, and you won, but you, you know, you won a shootout. So you got two points and, but you really didn't, it's just, it, it makes for a weird look at the standings, you know, until you get really near the end of the season kind of thing. Or, or if you're just a dominant team, then okay, you know, no problem. But if you're in, if you're chasing a playoff spot, it, it makes it really hard with shootout losses and the way they dole out points these days. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to hate the tie. Well, I don't know if I hated the tie. I was kind of into the shootout, but then I was kind of like, okay, this is gimmicky. 
I think I would rather have the ties because it's just so you get, you get to a shootout and it's, you know, it just comes down to whoever can deke the goalie the best kind of, but uh, yeah. And the blue jackets specifically, they, they kind of clung to that loser point, the overtime loss shootout loss the last couple of years. It feels like, yeah, it's just, it's, just, it's weird. I guess that maybe I'm just, uh, I'm feeling old will, but uh, you know, I, I long for the good old days of, of ties in the NHL when uh, you would actually, you know, kind of like, just it, 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 it's weird, but it really has affected things. And yeah. you know, sometimes maybe maybe if you're, you know, they, they've been around now for I don't know how long have they been 10, 15 years now. But it's one of those things where I, I noticed the difference significantly in the standings, and it's weird that you can't really, you know, distance yourself in the standings like other sports. Like you know, outright wins and losses, you know where you stand, where, yeah. where you're at with points and overtime losses and everything. It always makes for a weird way to follow uh, and, and to know if your team, where you're actually at in the playoff race, if you know what I mean. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, Jeff, this was really awesome. I know you're about, we're pretty much at the end, but uh, yeah, this was awesome. It was kind of like a cool, really chill conversation with you, which is really cool. So I really appreciate the time. Yeah, no problem. Well, I appreciate it, man. Good talk and uh, good luck to you, my friend. And uh, anytime down the road, just uh, let me know. We can uh, do it again if you need to. Absolutely. I'll catch you on the radio. And uh, yeah, thanks again for this. All right. Well, sounds good, my man. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks. Take care. Three, two, one, zero, zero, and one.